Welcome to Uncultured Bias. My name is Kamara Williams. I'm your host. On our show, we say that culture is a matter of perspective and opinion. After all, culture is just another way to stay discovered. We are uncultured, we are biased, and we are black. If you're tuning in, welcome back to our show. If it's your first time, welcome. Welcome, welcome. We always appreciate new listeners. If you're giving us a world for the first time. Before we start, I just want to remind everybody to continue to subscribe to the show on both Apple and Spotify, as well as check out my website, kamarawilliams.com. It's where I have an active blog. We talk about topics that haven't been covered that week. Um, sometimes it's filler. Sometimes it's talk about different things that I, you know, really wanted to get into, but I just don't didn't record a podcast about. Um, this is also a place for those who are loyal followers and listeners of the show. They can request certain topics you'd like to hear, or if you want to be on podcast yourself. Also, if you're listening on either Apple or Spotify, please be sure to rate the episode a five star rating. If you're so inclined, also leave a message if you're on Apple. A lot of people don't do that. So leave a message and talk about how much you like the show or you like a particular episode. Um, it's how Apple, you know, I guess they grade the algorithms on a show about engagement. So that's one of the ways that people are active listeners because they're leaving uh, particular comments. All right. Also, if you're um, listening on both Apple and Spotify, my final ask is that you share it with your friends on social media or through text message. That, to me, is one of the best forms of advertising, personal engagement. If you like something in this program or a particular section, let people know. Say, hey, I love this podcast, or I particularly like this area when they talk about so-and-so. Um, I think, for me, when I get a personal text message or something uh, regarding a subject, it increases the value of me wanting to listen to it. So that's what I'm trying to say about personal engagement. Please tell your friends about it. Um, we're a dope podcast. All right, that's my final ask. Remember, sharing is caring. That's our motto on the show. Our sponsors for this week are Compact Tax Advisors. If you're in business looking for a great tax attorney, Compact Tax Advisors is your path. Or if you're just trying to fill in, uh, trying to file personal tax returns, we are in the tax season right now. They handle that as well. Contact them at 850-273-7193 or mycompasstax.com. Let them know that you were referred by Kamar Williams and Uncultured Bias Podcast for a special discount. If you're located in Central Florida and in a market for a home and or are looking to sell your home, check out Keystone Global Real Estate. They specialize in finding the right home for you and providing the best customer service you can imagine. I should know this because it's a family business, which is owned by my mother, uh, Paulette Williams. Uh, we also handle commercial real estate properties. So if you're just in a market for yourself or just trying to invest, let Keystone Global Real Estate uh, be the key to your happiness. You can contact Keystone at 407-680-8510 or www.keystoneglobalrealestate.com. Finally, uh, once you get that beautiful home, be sure to check out uh, Smith & Williams Trial Group because we can handle your estate plan. Um, Smith & Williams Trial Group PLLC uh, not only specializes in estate planning such as wills, living wills, power of attorneys, and trusts, we also help uh, specialize in probate process as well, which is the legal process after the person who has passed away. Um, We service all of Florida. Uh, he reaches at 888-SWTG-LAW or 888-798-4529. You can reach me directly at cwilliams at swtglaw.com. If you just podcast as a reference, we will give you a 15% discount at Smith & Williams Trial Group, um, where premium services are standard. And trust me, I know the boss, so you'll be good with that. All right. We got all that, you know, housekeeping out of the way. All right. So we're going to get into this today's podcast. And I should say tonight's podcast because we are recording tonight and the person, well, the subject I want to talk about is music. We're going to get into our music bag and uh, joining us on this conversation is my boy, uh, Joey Ocean, my frat. Uh, he's one half of the writing duo, uh, producer group Pens Deep. 
Say what's up, Joe. What's up, my guy? Yo, man. You know, first of all, you got on, got me on these artist hours. Come on, man. But it's all good. <laughs> it's I'll adjust. Right. I'll adjust. You know, I'll do. Yo, it was the right thing to do, man. <laughs> Right thing to do. You know, I can't get you on no. It's, I can't get you on the business hours. I got to get you like you know. We tried to do corporate hours, and we decided to just go ahead. You know, since we're talking about music, just make it a vibe. Mm -hmm. We we'll just do it at midnight. Yeah, you know, <laughs> way past my bedtime. Way past our bedtime. You know, I got, I, I'm having drinks. Yeah, it's all oh good. Yeah. Oh yeah, we there. It's all good. Like we don't have to be adults in the morning. No, I literally have to wake up a few <laughs> hours, but it's all good. Right. <laughs> um, before we get into this, like you know, music. Uh, we lost the musical titan. Yeah, man. And uh, DMX. I mean, uh, what were, you know? I'm give you some time before. You, what were your thoughts about just DMX as an artist? And yo, I mean, DMX as an artist was, um, you know, him coming out in the '90s like that when he did. You know, I was in high school, and um, you know, it's funny because I was laughing with my brother and some of my friends about you know how we used to work out the DMX and the track practice and band practice, listening to DMX. And I mean, you're talking about, you know, it was going from, you know, all these guys trying to be super smooth, like LL and, and everybody in the 90s. And you got DMX coming in like, yo, because what I'm doing, you know, <laughs> you, you get this whole nother level of energy. Mm -hmm. But uh, lyrically, his energy, um, his story, his path, man, he's just such an incredible uh, MC and artist, man. I think he really, really, I think I know he totally changed the game forever. You know, it's, um, I wrote a, a blog about him about in order to really like appreciate DMX, you almost had to go back to like 1996. You were right. You were right, man. I, you know, I don't know if you had a chance to check it out, read it. I did. Yeah. I did. And um, it's, it was amazing to me how fascinating. You did an excellent job on that, by the way. Oh, sh <laughs> thank you. Shout out to me. Let's go a round yeah, of applause man. on that. You Indeed. know, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to. Pat myself on the back a little bit. And <laughs> yeah, 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 you know. <laughs> you know. First of all, round of applause for you being a first-time guest. Come on, man. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. 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 Um, but, uh, and round of applause that we're up late at night doing a podcast past our bedtime. Boom, it's a session. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, I was saying that in, in 96, man, it was an interesting year in hip-hop because I really feel like that was, like, the, really the last real year of, like, lyricism took place. Yeah. And... You know, you had so many great, like, artists that came out that year uh, as far as lyrical albums. Not just like, you know, not just like, oh, okay, we're going to put out uh, um, just a studio album. But, right. you know, from, like, Reasonable Doubt, from Jay-Z Reasonable Doubt, Bahamut Diaz, um, her her album, um, you know, Raskas, you know, his album, like, you know, uh, 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 Outkast. Like, yeah, it, we had all these albums. In 90, but still, in 96, the album that took everybody's attention was the Tupac album. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I was was listening to a story um, that was told by Suge Knight. And was that the um, All Eyes on All Eyes on Me? All Eyes on yeah, Me album. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, it was actually, actually, I'm sorry, it was Irv Gotti telling this story. Irv Gotti Murder was talking. Murder, Inc. And he was telling about how, like, you know, um, Suge was really, really close with Pac. Everybody knew, but you know, and he said, I, don't, I never really believed uh, Suge, you know, murdered Pac. And, and the guy said, well, why not? And he said, well, because, you know, he said Pac really took on Suge's energy in his music. Like, he said Pac would take his conversation that Suge said and then put it into a song. Wow. And, you know, it was the first time that 
an artist was doing that for Suge, and he was like, and he was like, he was very protective over Tupac. He said he would never murder somebody. He said, why? He said, think about it. why would I murder somebody that really took on my, wow, uh, you know yeah. what I mean? And so, um, but I say all that to say because it obviously Pac died in such a tragic way, and in '96, um, despite you know a litany of great albums coming out that year. His album stood apart, stood stood apart from everything, and then there was a void, yeah. You know, and then obviously Biggie died a year later, right? You know, and um, it was just this two year void of just you know music, you know, not really having the head honcho, right? And um, you know, DMX, you know, then popped on the scene, and it was his uncharacteristic style that really galvanized both coast, really. You know, because yeah. it wasn't the West Coast, East Coast, even though he was a New York artist. Right. But he still was somebody that really, you know, I didn't, I mean, I was living on the West Coast at the time. Yeah, yeah. I think you were too. No, no, not no, yet. Yeah, not, not, not yet. Not yet, not yet. Yeah. And we'll get into your history in a moment. But, um, you know, I do, believe, I think it was the first time for a long, in the first, in a few years that both coasts were really riding out for this particular artist. And and do you know what I, to me, I think a big part of that was, you know, to your point, I think after, you know, Tupac passed, you know, obviously people were still putting out projects, but I think one of the things that really made, you know, DMX different, at least for me and the people that, that I know and and knew, was that I think he was one of the first guys in a long time for our generation that was completely believable. Like, you're like, this dude is like, like he's <laughs> he means that shit. It was you know it was passionate. Said? It was a lot of it was yeah. it it felt it felt like now this is exactly who he is. Like when he said he's gonna slap you in the club, like he's like I'm gonna do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like and and he, and he wasn't even trying to come off about that. Like what he was saying is this. He was like, oh, that's really that dude's story. And 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 it, there was no, it wasn't necessarily any huge marketing behind. I mean, there was, but it wasn't a gimmick. Right. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. He was yeah. authentically. Earl, yeah, <laughs> on every song, especially on that first project. So, I it's it's wild because DMX really labored in the music industry for like at least six or seven years. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. he he had been going just battles, battles. Like he yeah. was really had been going for like seven years prior to like really getting launched. And it was, right. uh, I I think even in ninety five. Like ninety five, ninety maybe ninety six, maybe maybe ninety six. Actually, Puff had signed the locks, and he said, "You know, DMX was like, damn, like you, you, you messing with the locks? You ain't messing with me, right?" And Puff was like, "You just too rough for me." He's like my man, yeah, my man, Doug, 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 Doug. You know what I'm doing, <laughs> right, 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 right. And right, he right. was just like, <laughs> <laughs> and so you know, he was, he was just he did. People didn't get him in the industry. Right. They, they didn't get him, but it's weird. It's, it's always about timing. Timing. Time you know, is everything. T- timing is everything because it took a while for people to like, I get it. Yeah. I get it now. And it, it's almost, there's a, there's a barber, just barbershop talk. I say, would, would um, DMX be a large artist had Pac still been around? And I actually say, yes, he, he I say, would. yeah. I say, yeah. Because he was such a unique sound at the time. Yeah, absolutely. That, you know, it would have been hard. He'd been undeniable. Yeah. At some point, he just, some things are just undeniable. Right. 
And, and, and again, like you said, it wasn't even, and what was really dope about Pac is, as a lyricist for both coasts, everybody absolutely respected him, mm-hmm. but he was no doubt West Coast. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So everything about the game. He didn't start off that way. Right, right, he did not. Yeah. He did not. But that's what he evolved into as an artist. Yeah. And so you got DMX coming out who's not necessarily saying, I'm so New York, or I'm so this, I'm so that. He's just like, it's just raw, man. Mm-hmm. It's raw. This is one of those guys, and I understand from a from a business standpoint in music, a lot of times when you're working with artists, you're you start to you see them, you hear the sound, you hear the look, and you're like, okay, how can we market this guy? Yeah, how can we market this girl? What's the what's the vibe? How do we push them? So you always want to put something on that artist, and I don't think they had to do a lot of that with him. No, because he really was in the streets. Because he really was about that life. <laughs> he was really, he was really yeah. robbing people. He, was, he had a rap record. That's what I'm not, not a rap record. Man. I'm talking about he had a... No, this dude had a rap. Rap exactly. record. Criminal, <laughs> criminal rap record. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. He was in and out of jail. They so, would call him uh, Bid. They'd be like, you had to kind of get some time to get his mind right. Go for yeah, 90 days. Man. Go for six months. Come back. You know? Yeah. So they... I think it was brilliant, actually, the way that Def Jam was like, let's just use him exactly the way he is. Let's let him be who he is. Let him be who he is, and he's going to he's going to deliver, which he did. Right. Um, what I think, though, the tie-in between him and Pac is that both had a excellent way of conveying two things: conveying emotion, yeah, in, oh, yeah. in their rhymes, the authenticity of their emotion. Because when Pac rhymed, you can you st- to, even to this day, like you know, my favorite Pac out record is "So Many Tears." Yeah, that's a great one. That's my favorite Pac record. Yeah. Like you still, I, I'm telling you, you still listen to that record today. Yeah, it still hits like you know, dun, 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 dun. and the yeah. way he just rides that beat yeah. and just like talk and he just like, you know, it just talks about you know his life and his perspective. It's my favorite Pac record. You know, one of my favorite ones from his quietly is Pain from Above the Rim soundtrack. Uh, you know, I've heard other people say that. Yeah. The, the energy on there, I mean, he's he kicks it off of, you never take me alive, I'm getting high. You know, I mean, he's coming in on, mm. he's, he's on fire throughout the whole record. I mean, I've heard I've heard people say that, actually. Yeah. I think my barber said that. That's Pain. his favorite, that's his, his favorite yeah. Pac record. Yeah, Pain on, yeah. 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 Um, I just, I just love, yeah, get to, to me, so many times, that's why I got that thug life tattered yeah, on my yeah, chest. Yeah. Mama, can you feel me? I'm not living in the past. You know, it's just like, right, you know, right, it is right. like the way he just like hitting that beat, it's, it's incredible. But, you know, the same, like DMX, same thing. You know what I mean? He just evokes an emotion. I, I wrote in the blog that I felt like was, was unique to both him and Pac, what I loved and I just tie in. Pac was this thing, I felt like he was the everyday, he spoke like an everyday black man. Yeah, he's a yeah. very conflicted man, and what I mean by that is, we're very conflicted individuals. Indeed, you know, especially at twenty five. Pac is twenty five at the yeah. time uh, when he passed away, but you know, we could be a preacher one day, right? You know what I mean? We could be articulate one day, right? Right. We can be eloquent. We can talk about protecting black women, and then other times we could be a, a motherfucker, ratchet. We can re-ratchet, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, you know. Yeah, and he, exactly. they, he just really embodied yeah. all phases, and then, especially as a young black male, like the confusion of society, not understanding where your placement in the world, and then right. you know. And I felt like with DMX, he did the same thing. He did. You know, he talked about like he just. I mean, I'm. I don't. I didn't grow up in Yonkers, right? I didn't grow up in a group home. 
you know, but I still understood, you know, the confliction of, you know, DMX's story. Right. And he it's the ability to be operating in two worlds. And I felt like that's the dichotomy of a black male. He Absolutely. has to operate in two worlds all the time. You know what I mean? Like sometimes, yeah, he would, you know, again, DMX, Earl Simmons would talk about, you know, women. Right. You know, in a, in a way that he was, you know, you know, uh, um, how's it going down? You know what I mean? Like, you right, know, right, loving, right. loving a woman. And then oh, what you really want from me? You know, you know or, or then he could flip it and tell her what, what you really want from me. Right, it was right. Brenda, Eugene, like, you right. know, <laughs> Tamika, Tasha, yeah. Renee. Right, right, right. right. He's rattling them <laughs> off, like totally misogynistic. And then go religious on you and go talk religion. about how he's battling with these demons. Which is in the same album. Same album. He said every record I, I ended on religion. Yeah. Every religion I ended on uh, yeah. on the on the yeah. prayer. Yeah. And yeah. that's what made him so fascinating because I understand he's like, you get it. Yeah. I mean look, we grow up we listen, we all understand Saturday nights I'd be in the club. Right. And then Sunday nights I will be in a church. In church. <laughs> Smelling like I just came what, from the club. What cologne is that? Oh, that's vodka. That's vodka. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, right. that's that's Remy Martin. Right. <laughs> you know, um but it's I lived that. Yeah, you know what I mean? Unfortunately. Absolutely. So did I. Unfortunately, I lived Take you know, communion smelling like Patron. Oh God, I'm not proud of that. Not yeah. proud of that. But I, I mean, I'm literally drinking wine, smelling like wine, yeah. <laughs> smelling like liquor. Exactly. <laughs> you know, but that was the tw- that was my twenties. That's the twenties, man. You know, um, you know. So, I mean, I can't, I think we jumped a little bit, but I kind of want to talk about your history. Yeah, no, for sure, man. I mean, talk, tell tell the listening public, you know, how you got into music and. Um, just you know your journey. I know I know a lot about it. Yeah, yeah. We, you know, again, we're, we're close, and Absolutely. you know, you, my frat. But I, I just want you to kind of I want to let you breathe a little bit and tell the world who you are and what is Penzeep and all that. Yeah, no, no doubt. I appreciate that, man. Yeah. So I mean, I um, you know, probably like like most kids, there's always that one moment that kind of <clears throat> excuse me, you know, just changes the game for you. And I think for for me and my siblings, my dad took us to a Michael Jackson concert mm. when I was about five years old. And um, it was that. And then a Stevie Wonder concert, man. Mm. And so I, I remember being so hype about that. My dad bought me a drum set. Um, no lessons now. Just, <laughs> here you go, son. And, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> no lessons. Just, here you go. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, I destroyed it, destroyed the drum set. But then you fast forward from that, man, and, uh, you know, Myself and my partner, Crucial Beats, who's the other half of Penn's Deep, we both grew up band kids, you know. I'm going to school in Tallahassee um, at Family High in the band from third grade all the way up into high school, being drum major, um, you know, marching in the 100 for a semester. And um, what's crazy about that is, you know, I knew I always wanted to do music, but I actually always wanted to be an A&R. I never wanted to be on the artist side. We're going to get into that because I, I want to talk about A&R in a little bit. But go ahead. Yeah, keep absolutely. Going. Absolutely. And I don't want to believe this, but you went to the the illustrious FAMU. I went to the Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University. Absolutely. Hey. I did go to the FAMU. I bleed that orange and green. Yes, sir. Hey, if I know a rattler, I just, this man is a rattler. Uh, yeah, I'm a rattler, dog. Like, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a rattler. He, he don't play. He's not a play play rattler. No, I'm a rattler, rattler, man. I, <laughs> like orange green hats all over this house right now. Yeah, you know? I mean, it's, I'm a rattler. But um, yeah, man. I mean, so you fast forward from that. I met FAMU, 
and um, you know myself, Randy Bush, who ended up doing some other dope things in music, and and Chauncey Holloman, you know, God rest the dead. You know, we started this this R and B group called For Sure, and so Precious Anderson, who is still doing it at the highest level right now as an entertainment lawyer. Um, representing everybody from T.I. to Keith Sweat to Alonzo Mourning. And, and, you know, we're like one of her first clients at the time. So she's like managing us slash our attorney. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're doing shows with her. And she's got us on the – now, this dates me. We did the Vibe Magazine college tour. Okay. So that, so that, <laughs> so that was our, okay. first, our first little taste of the magic with Precious, man. So shout out to Precious. And then, you know, as most R&B groups do, you know, the group fell apart. And, uh, of course. <laughs> yeah, so, of course. <laughs> of course. And so, um, but no, those are still my guys. And then uh, I was like, well, shoot, I'm going to get this degree. So I you know, went ahead and graduated from FAM. And then I get the opportunity to go out to L.A. and work at the world-famous Laugh Factory, the comedy club. Mm. So I'm doing that as Why? an intern. Because I just, here's the thing. Once I left FAMU, I was like, I just got to get out of Tallahassee. You just got to get, because uh, you had grown up in Tallahassee. Because I grew up in Tallahassee. Yeah. So my parents were kind of, you know, we were talking it out with family and friends. They're like, well, you know, why don't you go back to L.A.? And I'm like, go back? Yeah, I mean, that's where you were born, but we got family. They want you to go back. So we go to L.A. I'm working at Laugh Factory. And so my hustle was, I'm doing college club nights, but I'm really trying to get into anybody's studio. Yeah. So it's like everybody in LA has a hustle. Everybody had a hustle. Everybody is a director, actor, football coach, janitor, model, yeah, porn star, something. Literally, no, I mean he's literally being real. like yeah, everybody has like every six time you gigs. you run into someone in LA, they be like, oh yeah, I'm a model, I'm an actor, I'm an actress, I'm exactly. Da, 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 like, and even like the dude, you'd be like, hey, so what do you do? Well, I'm working on a script right now. Right, right. Yo, you can't even talk. What? Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're you're a literal cab driver. Yeah, yeah. You're like, yeah, 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 I have a script here if you want to read it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you never yeah. Know. That's the hustle, man. Yeah. And so the hustle paid off, man. So I I'm, I'm passing out these these tickets and I run into another rattler, Nazarin, aka Naz Tokyo, on Instagram. Look her up. She's a big deal. Uh, another rattler. And Naz is like um, let's write. So we write songs together, Naz and I. Mm-hmm. Naz is from the DMV. So she's from that Maryland clique. Yeah. Naz Shout introduces- out to my boy Robert Foster, also from DMV. Come on, man. Come on, DMV. So Naz introduces me to Tank and Izzy. It's, it's just, it just kept going, kept going. And so from there, I take the song that Naz and I wrote and I, I record it. And then somebody puts me onto another rattler, Sean Holiday who was VP of, was he VP of marketing, VP of publishing for EMI at the time. Mm. I go down to EMI, play my demo. He's like, yo, that's cool. What else you got? I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) But he's a rattler, right? So at least he let me get in the door. Get in the door, right. And that's what's so dope about about the whole HBCU thing. Just off the strength of being a rattler, yeah, had never you know this dude didn't know me at all. He's like, man, come to Santa Monica, bring your demo. Um, you know, let's meet, let's talk. Right. So come out of that, and he's like, I'm gonna give you these beats. So he gives me some beats from some producers that he just signed at the time. I take that, and again on my hustle from the Laugh Factory, I'm passing out tickets, and they're like, well, come down to Sony. So I go to Sony with these beats that I just got from the Rattler, Sean Holiday, mm. And they're like, introducing me, blah, 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 what you got? 
I'm like, I mean, I got these beats. <laughs> so, so, so I play these beats, man. And they're like, yo, where'd you get these beats? And I'm like, Sean Holiday. He's like, you know Sean Holiday? I'm like, yeah. I mean, I just met him. But I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah. Hey, we just had lunch. Right, man. <laughs> and so, so that, that situation turns into, I got a guy I want to introduce you to. So check this out, bro. Another Rattler. Shoniji Robinson from FAMU mm. is already out there doing acting. Mm -hmm. She was on, I think at the time she had just finished a play with Will Smith or something like that. This is crazy. So Shoniji's like, you know, come to this house party. There's somebody I want you to meet. All, the, all these are the same little circles. It's kind of yeah. running together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I go to this little apartment in Van Nuys. It's a house party. And this guy named Maurice is there. Maurice Carmen. And she's like, yo, Maurice, I want you to meet my little brother. He's calling me Jojo. Mm -hmm. And he's a singer. I'm like, cool. So Maurice is like, yo, it's nice to meet you. We're trying to put an R&B group together. So I was like, what? He's like, yeah, it's going to be like, you know, Jodeci 2.0. Mm. So I was like, man, sign me up, dog. So <laughs> that's all you need to know. That's all you need to know. know. Yeah, Anybody yeah. that knows me knows like I, yeah. I am the fifth member of Jodeci. Yeah. So, man, we go to the studio and Snoop is there. LT Hutton is there, major producer LT Hutton is there, Maurice is there. And now audition and uh I get signed, man. And then, you know, did that for a while, came back here, reunite with crucial beats on a cruise ship. I know <laughs> so, so crazy. Cause I had given up on music in two thousand seven. I was like, I'm good. Mm -hmm. And then I it stalled. Like it's just it, <sighs> I mean, that's a whole other episode, it, but it was wild. It, it's, a, it's a beautiful nightmare. It's everything you think it is, and then some, and worse, in good and bad ways. But I, I basically quit music in 2007. I left the label, moved back to Florida, and then go to a wedding for another Rattler, and Crucial is there. And we just start chopping it up, and we get this opportunity to start placing songs in TV and film. And so I was like, well, let's let's kind of do like a Florida version of the Neptunes. Mm -hmm. And then now here we are, pins deep. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, what he's not telling the story is that his girl at the time, now his wife, yeah, <laughs> had a big reason for him to come back to Florida. Oh, yeah. Yeah, man. Shout yeah. out to the doctor. Yeah, my doctor, <laughs> Dr. Shells. Yeah, man. I Exactly, because at the time... The, the the unedited version <laughs> <laughs> is I, I had just become so much Joey Ocean. I mean, I was that guy, you know, I'm with clubs on. I got shades on in the club. Oh, God. You know, I'm sitting at Cheesecake Factory in the middle of the day with shades on. Yeah. I mean, just, just doing the absolute most. Like, I mean, you couldn't tell me I wasn't a real life rock star. And uh, she was like, well, you be a rock star. I'm going to go back to Florida. I was like, cool. <laughs> you on that cool shit. Cool. Right. right cool. I mean, like, you, you got to do what you got to do, baby. Right, 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 right. <laughs> go ahead, baby. You got to do what you got to do. Man, shit. Like, maybe after about a month, I was like, hey, so how's it, how's it going in Florida? Yeah. Like, <laughs> how's the weather? Yeah. How's, how's it going over there? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was like, nah, that's, I didn't make a, oh, the worst mistake of my whole career right now. So yeah, of course, <laughs> I had to come to Florida. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you leveled up. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it man. was for the win. Yeah, it was for definitely for the win. Yeah, man. You know? Yeah, shout out, shout out to your wife, man. But thank you, my dude. Um, so I, I I'm gonna 
do a nice little thing called we call it the segue. Let's do it. The death of your R and B singing career. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's talk about the death of R and B. Um. So, some would say, not me, but some would say that it started when like Puff produced Mary J. Blige, mm. and it was the first time they welded hip hop instrumentals and notes with R and B sounds. And it's the first time in my memory that both hip hop and R and B would walk into the same musical room. Right. Um, do you agree with that? You know that this is when like R and B began to slow down. Not saying that it died because R and B had a good run, but I'm saying like we started merging two different genres into it, and at some point, it's like a succubus. One starts becoming the dominant characteristic in that form. For sure. Um, it's. Or do you think it goes longer, further back than that? That's the first time I can remember. Like, I think that R&B started to definitely evolve when Diddy started doing that, for sure. Yeah. Because, but it had to, in my opinion, right? Because if you're coming out of the 80s where you've got your, I mean, take your pick, bro. <laughs> you've got... The Whitney Houston's, of course. You've mm-hmm. got um, New Edition. I mean, you got all this kind of poppy R and B sound. Michael Jackson, of course, which was wasn't pop at the time, but yeah. when you look back at it, he was actually starting to go more into R and B. Exactly right. So that was one of his most R and B albums, right? Yeah, his record his, his record started turning more into like rhythm. Yeah, but even that album, Thriller was a fusion of jazz, real jazz, yeah. R&B, rock, and other elements. It was, yeah, it was a fusion of rock, pop. Pop. And R&B. See, my favorite Malcolm, uh, Malcolm, uh, Michael Jackson record is the Off the Wall album. Really? That's my favorite Michael album. What's your favorite Michael Jackson song, R&B song? Oh. My favorite, the, yes, the one that I feel where Michael Jackson just went off in an R&B way is Lady in My Life. Oh, yeah, that's a good he one. He blacks out on that one. That's a good one. Yeah. That is a good one. Yeah. That's a good record. Yeah. Yeah. But to, back to your question, I think that you had to do that because the, the 80s had just become so poppy. Yeah. And then the early 90s, you were still kind of going through the you know that troop phase and 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 New Jack Swing and and all of Teddy that. Riley, yeah, exactly with Guy, which, I mean, it was absolutely dope. Of course, like I, my kids look at me like I'm crazy when I blast Guy, but I'm like, dude, that's Guy, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that that evolution opened the door because I think it was a natural progression. Hip hop was already becoming such a dominant force yeah. that I think R and B almost started to take the back seat. Mm-hmm. And so in order to preserve R&B or take R&B to another level, you had to find a way to fuse the two. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what Diddy did for, for, for R&B and for music. So like with Mary, she was such a distinct voice. You couldn't give her a regular R&B placement record. No. You had to give her something that merged with her upbringing. And she was... Um, she was from New York and uh, Yonkers, maybe? No? Uh, 
Don't, don't, yeah. I don't know. I forget what the neighborhood she was. Don't get me beat up in these streets over yeah. there, these boroughs, man. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, she had she has such a different upbringing. I think he wanted to, and especially he's coming out of Uptown. Right, right. You know, and he had just got done managing uh, Jodeci. Right. Okay, so Jodeci, maybe that was the first. Jodeci, him taking a, you know, it, it was a counter to the boys to men. Yeah. You know, um, boys to men with, you know, um, with their traditional R&B sound. Clean cut. You know, that, right. but they, their notes on the way they sung on the record were traditional, right? right? And but and, the boy, and they were classically trained, classically trained right. musicians. And whereas, um, you know, Jodeci was really more of a. It's weird when you think when you think about it. They were you could hear the gospel and blues elements in their singing. Absolutely, very raspy. Very, you know, talking about KC in particular. Yeah, you know, um, you know. Just him being, I think one of the why he was actually such a successful artist because he reminded people of seventies singers. Absolutely, absolutely. You want to break uh, that down for me? Yeah, man. I mean, this this dude sounded like Sam Cooke's little brother, mm-hmm. but then at the same time, you had Devonte Swing producing coming, who you know is coming out of out of that Pharrell Timberland camp ish. Yeah, right. Producing, you've got these moving bass lines. When you listen to music during that time period and you listen to what the bass lines are doing, nobody was doing bass lines like Devontae Swing. Yeah. Then on top of that, not to get too technical, but Oh, it's cool. We can go there. Get the, in that bag, man. The the chords that he's that he's doing, mm-hmm. the voicings are it wasn't just your typical, you know, minor seven chords or minor nine. I mean, you're talking like eleven and thirteens. I mean, these were just completely inverted jazz chords that this guy found a way to fuse with 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 hip hop and and a, and a pinch of new jack at the time yeah with these ridiculous harmonies i mean these are these are like these are like three and five part harmonies that Joe DeC was doing over those kind of beats man so a lot of that too was based off of still coming off of the 90s how they used to layer different chords exactly you know and it you know, for those, I mean, again, I'm not classically trained in music. You are. So, but I just, walk me through here. But chords are, is a, is a three type of melodies in in a sense. And it's, it's. Yeah, typically yeah. a triad, typically yeah. three notes together. But yeah. I mean, you can, you can do two part harmonies. Okay. You know? Yeah. Um, you heard a lot of that with, with, with uh, some of the older stuff. Um, mostly three part harmonies were really with the older songs. So we're going to get into that because I, I I think this was really evident during the verses. Yeah, like I noticed so many three part harmonies in those in those songs. Right. Um, but you know, just getting into like just in the nineties, we started seeing less and less people using those three part harmonies. Right. You know, like I just it was it became a repetitive system of music yeah you know yeah. and to the point where they weren't providing us a real r&b anymore they were giving us pop songs right and, and you and i kind of talked about this too i think one of the biggest transitions that you saw going coming into the 90s mm-hmm. um 2000s and on was that prior to that musicianship as far as the production was played a really huge part right so you had a lot of live instrumentation 
um, sampling wasn't a big thing. Um, right. There wasn't like a lot. People weren't looping stuff. Well, to your point, right? So sampling wasn't a big thing. They still sampled. Cause, right. Because Jimmy Jam and Jimmy Jam and Cherry Loose, they, they did sample. Right. But they were, right. But they were true musicians. They were true musicians. They, they, and so. Yeah. Sampling so, was bigger than hip hop. Exactly. So yeah. in, in R&B, people weren't doing that yet in R&B. Mm-hmm. Um, everything still was like, okay, a lot of live instrumentation or a sample with layered with all this, all this instrumentation around it. Yeah. And. One of the things that we saw that changed that you and I were kind of talking about, we can kind of segue into that as well, is that vocally, you could take somebody like Mary J. Blige, who wasn't necessarily the best singer in the world, yeah. but she had a, an amazing tone and a mm-hmm. vibe and a story. And now you put this incredible production behind it. Mm-hmm. And now you've got a whole new sound of R&B. Mm. Whole new sound of R&B. So... We weren't anticipating going in this direction, but <laughs> I mean, I'm going to play just a sound drop from somebody, um, you know, and singer. And, you know, people say that well, she doesn't have a, a really good voice, but it actually she has a really good voice. But in the sense of I always compared her to Diana Ross. To me, there were certain singers as opposed to like Whitney Houston, like Whitney Houston is was like a singer you listen to. Right. Um, Dinah Ross was a singer you sang along with, right? She had a knack for melody, and that's what Janet had. If you give her a great melody, to me, she sings it and makes it infectious so that you want to sing along. And I think that is her gift. She's also fearless. So that was um, Jimmy in, in part in half of Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, and that was an interview, I think, from 2017. Legend. 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 I actually want to see them on a versus. I don't think we have time. They got too many. Who are you going to put them up against? Holland and Oates or Smokey Robinson? Smokey's, I mean, probably Smokey Robinson. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a crazy catalog. Um, but you know, I just had we just had mentioned Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, and I'm such a huge fan of theirs. Uh, just everything. Um, I want to talk about them in a moment, but one thing I I did want to before we move off of it is they talked about artist right. and. I didn't really think about it. Diana Ross wasn't a big singer. No. You know, and until they brought it up, like, oh, okay, yeah, she wasn't a big singer. But she was the first, Barry Gordy, first time said, it's not about the voice, it's about the look. And she had the look. She had the look. You know, and so he made her the lead singer in this group. And obviously he had, you know, some attraction there. That well documented. That's right. But, um, (laughs) you know, but it was a thing where he's really I don't know if the first time but it, it was like I don't need the voice right. I just need the look and I can create the sound behind and I love the way Jimmy Jam said that um, we're a big singer you can't really sing with them on a record like you playing with them in your true. car it's hard you like you can't hold the melody yeah you know what I mean like you know what I'm saying like a Denise Williams you'd be like I can't hold that note yeah. Right? You know, that octave. You can try to sing Luther Vandross, but not really. Not really, yeah. right? <laughs> but, you know, um, there's certain singers to be like, I can sing along with this. Right. You know, and that's what makes them relatable in their structure of the song. Like, I can sing this song. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and I think that became a, and I'm telling you, there's, and there's such a business on the music side, right? When When a song... When people feel like they can sing along with it, yeah, and the and the melody is simplistic enough that 
even the person who may not have been an R&B singer hears it and it becomes infectious and they sing it all the time. That's greater sales. Yeah. Right. When you think about it, you know, prior to, again, to use Diddy or Jimmy, even Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis as an example, prior to them, you know, albums just kind of used to go gold. Yeah. Right. You weren't hearing about a whole lot of platinum type numbers Mm -hmm. until Thriller. Yeah. And on and on. Right. Mm -hmm. But the melodies. That's not true, though. That's not true. Who 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 before Thriller? Before that, that you knew that sold a million. Michael Jackson's Off the Wall sold eight million copies. No, 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 no. I mean, like in the, for in the first year, I thought Off the Wall sold like eight million copies in in I don't know, but the first year. But I know before Thriller came out, it was a oh yeah, no, smash. no, it was a smash. It was yeah. a smash. Yeah, the Jacksons were a smash. Um, shit. So now we gotta look that up. Isley, but Isley Brothers. <laughs> So they said they did 28, they had 28 platinum albums. Oh, yeah. No, no. People were going platinum. I'm just saying how quickly they were going platinum. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So it's one thing if somebody puts something out in the 80s and it just, it's because it's classic, it's going to just always do numbers. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying something that was, that caught fire. Immediately. Immediately. Mm-hmm. That was simple enough, catchy enough, that even people who weren't R&B lovers were like, Whew, James Brown had like had ten platinum albums. Yeah, yeah, from yeah, my rec- yeah. recollection. Yeah, um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I got to look into that. It's true. I got to wonder, like, how you know when it really started commercial. Yeah. You know, the commercial R and B albums. You know, started really taking place. That's a good. That's a good. Um, yeah, man. Lesson for me to kind of look up. Yeah, too. when you look into it, you're gonna be like, huh, okay, wow. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So in their first year, they went. They went gold. Oh, okay. Yeah, it went double gold, right? Right, 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 right. Oh yeah, because that's that's right. how they remember how they used to certify it. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's a, it went gold twice. You know, right. they didn't say platinum. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, do, yeah. I didn't recall that. That's true. Yeah. Remember to get on the soul. They used to get on the Soul Train Awards, and they'd be like, "Yeah, gold, platinum, gold." Uh, two time, <laughs> yes, two time gold singer, two time gold singer. <laughs> right. yeah, 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 yeah. They didn't talk about platinum. No. That wasn't a thing. They were yeah. like, "He went gold five times." Right. Five time, <laughs> five time gold album. You know, but like right. you know. Don Cornelius. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, we, we talked about artist management and we talked about how, like, they, Jimmy Jam, they, let's say someone like Janet, um, one of the things I loved about that interview, and if you check it out, so two, it's both of them, um, I think it's Red Bull, this is the Red Bull interview, and it's like two I and a half hours. Gotta check that out. Yeah, but they talked about just like sitting down with, Janet and really trying to figure out because at the time she was on a label and she already had put out an album early on. It nobody was rocking with it, right? And nobody was trying to deal with her. And she was kind of just languishing on the label. And they were like, "Yeah, we'll take Janet." And they right. just sat with her for like a few days, and you know, and she was like, "All right, well, when are you going to record the album?" And she said, "They were like, oh, we've been we've been working on it.'" He's like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "We've been talking to you for the last several days." And they showed her some lyrics, and it was like the lyrics to control. Like, you know, like, because she had just been talking about her feelings about everything like that. Yeah, yeah. And they really got into who she was as a person. And that's when they created, you know, um, that album, that in classic, you know, yeah. um, Rhythm Nation Rhythm album. Rhythm Nation album. And, um, you know, I, I thought it was really interesting because at the time, you know, artists, again, it was really it's interesting for somebody. I think the first time where a producer took an entire album. Yeah. You know, not just this couple tracks, 
but like I'm gonna take I'm gonna create I'm gonna not on A and R the album I'm gonna create the sound the production I'm gonna do everything on this album I'm gonna create the sound for you yeah and that's the first time um, that happened I mean I guess Quincy did that for Thriller but even then he had Rod Templeton wrote a lot of some of that yeah and yeah yeah you had James Ingram on a lot of songs on there um, you know with his pen as well but mm-hmm. still to your point it, it it's one producer or one camp. Yeah, producing the entire song, a sound for an artist. Yeah, and so you, you did that with Thriller. You saw that with Rhythm Nation. You saw that uh, Babyface did that with Bobby Brown. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, you did he did it with Jodeci. Yeah, but yes, yeah, going back to the, that that era with Janet Jackson, that's kind of one of the first times that you really saw uh, a producer or a production team just completely create the sound. Like nope, we got it. Yeah. So Jimmy, <laughs> when the thing about was great about them because they were, they came out of that Prince camp. Yeah. You know, from Morris Day in the time. Monster camp. Yeah, monster. and then so you know they were musicians, and um, you know they learned under the best, two religions are the best, right? Right. Learning how to create music and do be multifaceted. Um, on a number of different levels and understand notes and everything like that. And imagine getting tutelage from. You know, Prince Nelson. You know what I mean? Like, right. You know, imagine getting uh, uh, lessons from him and just how to create sounds and music. So um, they really changed. I think they were the defining sound for a generation. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, So my question is, I guess, originally, like, what the fuck happened to R&B? Because we, (laughs) (laughs) like, it just died. Like, it literally, I have my opinions. Yeah, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean. But it, it's like we don't have the bridge anymore. Bring let's bring back the bridge. We don't have man. Uh, bring back the bridge. We need the I bridge. I miss the bridges. Yeah, uh, I miss the B sections. Yeah, you know, dude. Uh, so it's interesting, right? I think that when you when you look at let's let's just take the two thousands, the nineties, and the eighties, right? Yeah. You always had, of course, people in the 80s that, that wrote songs that had, quote-unquote, you know, racy lyrics, right? Mm-hmm. But even in the 80s, you just talked about, you know, the Isley Brothers on Versus. Mm. It was completely still about the seduction, mm. right? It wasn't like, I'm going to smash you up against the wall after the club. I know I don't know you, but, right? right. And, of course, there were songs like that, but it was more subtle, the lyrics were more, were more metaphoric. And so it was definitely about the seduction in the 80s and even in a lot of the 90s, right? You know, his lyrics like, I've been watching you for so very long, yeah, right? Or I've been longing for you. I mean, the, the songs were still basically communicating to a woman or whoever you're interested in that I want you, mm-hmm. right? So I, I want to I um, interject on something. Cause he didn't, know, he didn't know I was gonna have it, have this, but. At you your best, you will love, yes. Man, positive, Man. motivating force in my life. We were always trying, when it came to our love songs, to deliberately compliment a woman. Yeah. Whoa, whoa, say that again. We were always trying, when it came to our love songs, to deliberately compliment a woman. Why would you want to compliment a woman with your song? Why would you do that? Well, I got my brother Ronald singing it. <laughs> That's enough of a convincer. And, you know, we'd have the lyric. Uh, with, 
any of us, you know, we'll touch on some of the other songs tonight, but any of our love songs, if you listen to it from that point of view, it's a, it's com- it's a compliment to a woman. Wow. Yeah, that's, 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 that's killer missing song. It's a killer song. Nothing, killer. nothing against it today. Nothing at all, you know, because, I mean, hip-hop, man, is probably one of the largest music genres ever created. It's created more millionaires and more successful young people in our culture than any other brand of music. The money that they've made, man, you know, we all got to take our hat off to that, man. Hip-hop came along and really, really became a force worldwide, globally. And, you know, and they could get airplay from everywhere, man. Uh, but soul music, man, soul music, you know, it's, it's different. Everybody likes a good song. I don't care who you are. There's not a living person that doesn't like a good song. You may not care for country music. You may not care for heavy metal. You may not care for rap. You may not care for whatever. But there ain't a person living don't like a great song. It just, that just don't happen. And, we, and we're sitting here with two groups who took the time to write lyrics. I mean, you had to be lyrically correct in those days. You couldn't print. You couldn't just write something. It had to be lyrically correct, and it had a standard that you had to live up to. Well, it had to touch. You know, it had to, it had to touch the heart. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was soul music. Let's go, D-Nice. So, <laughs> Steve Harvey said, say, say what? <laughs> say what? Say, say that again. Say that again. Why? 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 Why would you, you want to? <laughs> why would you want to compliment a woman? A woman? A woman? Why? <laughs> why? Why? <laughs> Who? When? Right. See, what? see, see d- d- that this damn hip hop. <laughs> <laughs> He's a fool, man. But yeah, no, he's but right, though. He's I, right. I wanted to, you know, if I didn't know you're gonna get it, get into that, but I mean, I think. That was the shift, I think. When we started... It it was the shift, man. Those songs, even when you go back to... uh, God, for lack of a better example, R. Kelly. But go back to the the blueprint for R. Kelly, which would have been Marvin Gaye. Mm. His songs were stuff about Distant Lover. Mm -hmm. And Even I Want You was still about the seduction, right? It's like, I want you, but I want you to want me too. I mean, it's still telling the story. Yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't like, you know. Let me see what your head game's talking about. Right, right, right. I mean, right. I mean these songs. There's, there's no seduction. Dog, it's, it's wild because we grew up listening to R and B music. That when I listen to them now, I'm like, oh shit, they were really adult. Like, oh yeah. Why oh, would my yeah. parents let me listen to this? <laughs> I should not have been listening to this stuff because it's super sexual. Right. right, but even even the sexual songs that you think about, they weren't like they explicit weren't, no. like that. Even seven 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 ninety three eleven. Since we're talking about you know Prince and Morris Day in a Time and Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis, mm-hmm. it, it starts off you know, babe, what's your phone number? Right. It's still not saying you know, let's cut something. Like he's still he's still having a conversation first. Right. He's a lot of I think that that was the change, and. For me personally, as a songwriter, I think I think you you saw the shift in R and B in the two thousands. Mm-hmm. So R Kelly came out, and you know he was he was he was you know doing what Kells does, right? He's killing it. He's got uh, you know tp2.com and all these other 
projects, right? Which was a, a, a dope record for real. Definitely a lot of children right now running around because of that project, tp2.com. Mm. But then you had, and I may be off by a couple of years, but you still had, you had Music Soul Child coming out, dude. Mm-hmm. You had Glenn Lewis. You had Genuine, who came out a little bit before that. So you had all these people. Genuine was still, he wasn't a great singer. He was not a great he was singer. He all about the look. Right. He, so he would, he would have been like a, a male Janet Jackson-ish, right? Yeah. No disrespect to Janet. No, dis- no disrespect. Okay, let's see. Male Sierra. There you go. Okay. Yeah, closer. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But my point is is that, you know, when, when he stepped away for a second, you know, R&B got, tried to come back again with real music, with the neo-soul movement. Mm-hmm. So it, it tried to say, no, let's bring real music back. Let's bring back the bridge. Real lyrics. Let's bring back the bridges. Yeah. Let's bring back melodies. Let's bring back harmonies and movement. And, and let's, let's talk about, about being friends and love. And I mean, it tried to have real lyrical content again, mm-hmm. right? And again, I'm not blaming it on R. I'm saying artists like R. <laughs> yeah. And then you drop the R project, mm-hmm. Right. Thong and that, feeling yeah. on your booty, and yeah. so that album was a huge success. Yeah. So then you had people like freaking Glenn Lewis and Music Social coming back trying to write songs like that. Well, like, the, that's the not label, even your lane. The label was trying to say you need to make R. Exactly. Kelly exactly. So then yeah. the label started saying we need our version of the R. Yeah. So you got people like Joe, yeah, who was who still is awesome, but now you got Joe trying to step his up. Yeah. And it, it, the song, you know, Stutter is great, but that was an example of that project trying to yeah. follow that R and B thug movement. Yeah. And th- for me, he was he was starting he was rapping, singing da 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 you know. Stutter, stutter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can tell you lie. You know, all of that. So but that's when the whole game started to change R and B because labels started wanting more of this R and B type thug thing, right? Let's blend it in. It seems to be working really well over here at Jive. Let's see if we can get that going over here at Capitol. Let's see if we can do it at the J. Let's see if we can do it at Arista. Yeah, yeah. And so it became music is it's a copycat business. Absolutely. There's no originality. Yeah, there's no originality, um, which is interesting because the best acts are the people who break new ground, but it's like people or labels are afraid. Yeah, and so they're like, "That made money, so I, I want that to make money for us. Right. So we got to do whatever worked over there. Let's make that work for us." And then you get these things on a radio where everything starts to sound the same. Yeah, um, I was God. There's a couple of records in the '80s where you're like, they sound like they're from the same artist, but they're like six or seven different artists. I forget. I I had a, a mental list and I did um, it's so late cuz I can't remember cuz you got me out here in artist hours. But um must be that Capri Sun I gave you. It must have been the Capri Sun. Yes. <laughs> Mixed with vodka. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, so but it, it's uh um it it was fascinating that all these albums and records started to sound the same and it was all stemmed from Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Oh yeah, you oh, know yeah. what I mean. Like they started to sound just like. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, no, definitely. So, so during that time, you had, and some of these, some of these projects, they may have actually been involved with. I don't know, but I know what you're saying because you had that project, then you had like Ready for the World, yeah, and you had um, Full Force, yeah, Force MDs, Troop, and all of yeah. these <laughs> groups had this kind of. R and B ish slash 
uh, Prince kind of Morris Day vibe. Uh, the instruments kind of sounded the same. Yeah, you know that whole vibe. The keyboard, um, the keyboard the, guitar, keyboard guitar yeah. was kind of yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the and the and the, the crazy bass lines, and then even with the um, the let me love you down right, red from the world. Yeah, when I I remember being a kid hearing that, like I thought it was Prince, it wasn't, but it sounded so much like Prince. It sounds so much like Prince. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, I, man, I think you you know you really got to look at the labels. You know, you, you can't blame the artist because at, at the end of the day. They just want to sing. We just want to sing. We just want to write songs. We just want to do our craft. We just want to eat. We just want to eat. Yeah. Look at Trey Songs, man. When Trey Songs first came out, again, another prime example. And here's the thing. I think the real question is, are artists being allowed to be authentic? Mm. Right? When Trey Songs first came out, I think those first two projects were some of his greatest projects, right? Mm -hmm. Even that song, uh, Can't Be Friends. Like that's one of his best R and B songs. Mm -hmm. When I wish we never did, and da 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 da. Right, mm -hmm. the 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 harmonies, the backgrounds, everything on that record is so crazy. But that's the kind of music Trey Song used to make. Right, and then Chris Brown changed gears, or Chris Brown's label changed gears again. I'm not gonna blame it on the artist necessarily. Right, and so now. Trey Songs becomes Trigger, right? And now he's got to keep up with with, <laughs> with a Chris. young with a young hot artist, right? And Chris Brown. So you got pressure from the label saying, I would assume, you know, listen, man, the last project you didn't you did numbers, but you didn't do numbers that we expected. Yeah, you know, or you, you never know. But I'm just saying, you you watch these artists come out, and unfortunately, you watch them either evolve or not be allowed to be who they are. And that, for me, was one of the main reasons that I walked away in 2007 because of the kind of artist that they wanted me to become. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that don't even have anything to do with music. Yeah. <laughs> that's not what I signed up for. Mm -hmm. So that's... So I want to talk about this, man, because R&B and soul music. Yeah. These are, these are characteristically black sounds. And, well... Rock and, I mean, all music, really. If you want to, if you want to really want to get into it, uh, you know, I mean, if you want to go there, sure. yeah, rock and roll <laughs> is is was created by black artists, right? And um, everything, no lies told. Yeah, I mean, all American art forms, musically, um, in in the twentieth century, were <laughs> were based off of black artists, um, and so. The lack of soul music, and like, I feel like we were missing something as a culture when we've stopped making soul music, stopped making R and B music, because that is such a significant part of how we grew up, significant part of how we um, communicate as a community. Yeah. And when R and B music died, I think a part of our musical heritage and a part of our culture died, mm -hmm. because I, I I don't have Again, I'm just going to tie it all in, but I do think it affected just interpersonal relationships with men and women. Oh, absolutely, man. Like, I, I feel like that is one of the things where it's now men don't know how to talk to women. You know, men don't know how to treat a woman. And I think that's really, it shows just destabilizing of just interrelations because we have lost a big part. Soul music as it's it from the soul. Um, we didn't get this part of the interview, but 
um, Terry Lewis of Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis says, uh, when music is from the heart, you know, when you write something from the heart, it reaches the heart. Yeah. And yeah. when you, and they kind of intimated that on the little drop from the, the verses that Steve Harvey, I mean, um, uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire, and Isley's, you know, the lack of, the, the heart in those records is so evident. Yeah. That it, it transfers time, transcends time. And we've lost a lot of heart in records. And in a sense, I feel like that's affected like black community as far as the way we look at sounds and music. I agree. I th- I think there's I think that's I think there's two things to what you just said. Okay. I think number one, when you go back to your favorite soul slash R and B artists and singers, songwriters, mm-hmm. most of these artists that we all love, that our parents love, um, they were making music that just had not been heard before. Mm-hmm. They were doing it in clubs, they're doing it in juke joints and bars and everywhere all around the country and, and 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 there was almost a race to grab it and try to bottle it up. Right. Right? Then R&B becomes huge huge and then the radio gets involved, labels get involved. And to your point, it starts to become a cookie cutter thing where I'm not necessarily looking for Kamara who's playing guitar in downtown Orlando who is an amazing artist. I don't want that. I want somebody who sounds a little bit more like Lenny Kravitz. Mm. Lenny Kravitz is dope by the way, but I'm right. just saying. They're like I love his baptism album. Exactly. They're like we need we need to fit this formula. So I think that's one part of the problem. I think the other part to your point about relationships, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, even when I was a teen, I mean, not that I was straight up stealing lines from R&B, but that really kind of talked to you uh, or laid out some examples. Okay, this is how it could go. (laughs) This is how this could go if you are a gentleman and you say this and do that on your date or open the door and do this and do that. And it gives you expectations, whether false or real. You know, those songs that you listen to like that when you're growing up as a kid, that's how you think it's going to go until you learn better and so I think the same thing for these kids. These kids are, are listening to songs like, you know, these hoes ain't loyal. Right. So, of course, they, these boys got jealousy problems. Right. You know what I'm saying? Or the, the girls listen to songs talking about, you know, dudes going to eat the butt like groceries. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But that's their expectation. Mm-hmm. Like, like how come you're not eating my booty? Like, I don't right. even know you. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Right. So I think, I think they're getting, you know, these are these are not realistic expectations that they're getting from the songs. Mm-hmm. Not saying that all of ours were, right. but theirs are definitely way more skewed than ours were, and it just keeps getting more and more intense. Mm-hmm. So, I think lyrically, you're right. I mean, if 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 you're listening, and and it's and it's, it's real because kids do pick up a lot from music videos and from music, and so if that's Absolutely. what they're hearing and seeing, yeah, I did, yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's why I got three girls. Right. You know? So, <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, I agree. The, the music plays a big part of that. Mm-hmm. So when we have eliminated a portion of just black, the sound of black we don't, America. Yeah, but we don't control the sound anymore. Is that is, exactly. that's a conversation. Yeah, we do not. And that's, that's why I kind of stopped on that first point because we don't control the sound. Yeah. When you, when you go play your record, in these boardrooms, there's not a lot of us in there like that. Yeah. There are a lot more now. Right, but still not enough. Yeah. But because especially if it's something that's a, it's, black sounds should be, 
and I did. I'm sorry to say this, but Black Sound should be curated by Black um, executives. I I think I so. think so. You know, because I wouldn't. You know, just for me, I wouldn't tell well, a Latin, I wouldn't tell a Latin artist what appeals because I may listen to some Latin music, but I I'm not. I didn't grow up in that household. I don't know what it, I don't know the smells. Right. Of a Latin house, so I don't know the 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 environment, the feeling. So you're going to be able to tell me something I can't see, right? And because I grew up around that, and you know, and so you know what the appeal is. So I just don't see how you can create a an environment of a cultural environment, and you don't have somebody that's from that culture, right? Absolutely, I, I agree with you in that. Black people should always be at the table when it comes to making decisions or trying to uh, define the sound of R&B and soul. Mm -hmm. I think that what you will find, which is also cool at the same time, is when you do go into these meetings or you meet these A&Rs, and, you know, sometimes it's it may be, you know, an East, East Asian guy yeah. or, you know, this dude from Israel who actually knows way more about R&B music than you do because that's that's all they do. So they're but for them it's kind of more of an academic thing. Yeah, but it's not a It's not like they're not from the culture. Yeah, and that's a thing, right? Yeah. Because yeah. like I can learn all I want about Latin music cuz I'm intellectually curious about it. Right. And I listen to the sounds like, "Oh, that's a great record." But you don't know the culture. I don't know the culture like right. I I can hear in in, you know, Without I, again, this is dating me, but an Enrique Iglesias record. Oh yeah, yeah. And I was like, I remember the first time I heard, you know, a record of it, and I was like, oh, that's a hit. Like when you remember TRL, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And it was like it was it debut. And I was like, oh shit, that's a that's a hit. Yeah. Because I I just I could tell. Right. Right. But I don't I don't grow up around. I mean, I I knew people of Latin descent. Right. Right. But. I'm going to sit there and lie to you and tell you that I know what a hit record is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I can, I grew up around, um, you know, people of Latin descent or I listened to some albums. I have a couple albums. It's, it's purely, there's a detachment from it. Yeah. Even if I understand it, I don't, I may not spiritually get it. Well, let me ask you this then. So as a consumer and lover of all dope music, mm -hmm. what, what are you missing in R and B music, in your experience when you're listening now, like what are you what are you looking for? What do you what are you listening for, or wishing that was there that is no longer there? Or do you find yourself listening to more of your older collection of music? I'm missing love. That's right. That part. I miss love. Yeah. Like I just I miss hearing a record about love. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and and it could some I like that first one twelve album. Listen. <laughs> a great record will remind you about something in your life. Oh, absolutely. And that's the power of music. The power of music. And when you when you have a record on love, especially now I'm going on um, my 10th year in September. Um that's awesome. Of marriage, yeah. And there are moments in marriage where things get a little a little rocky. Yeah. You know, as far as not like you guys are really no, it's but it's, but I mean, you're, you're, you're two individuals. You're two individuals and you yeah. have seasons, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the right record can bring you right back. Be like, yo, that's why I love that one. And see, that's why I love songwriting. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, do, I do find myself in moments of going to older music 
when I'm trying to find love in in the song. Yeah. You know, because it's cool like to have records, you know what I mean, that talk about, you know, I, I don't know, to talk about your sexual experiences. Right, right. That's cool. Right. But you know what I mean? I just want to I just want to have a record that reminds me of what love is. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you know what's interesting as a as a songwriter and you know shout out to Tez, you know he couldn't make it for the for the podcast, but you know we talk about that cuz some of the songs that we put out there like even this song that we released a few months ago called Stay in It that Crucial and I did. You know, that song was it was it's half reality, it's half fantasy, right? So some of it's my personal experience, but the rest of it is because I want the listener to feel something. Yeah. And I think that as a songwriter, songwriters, we have a responsibility to try to be more conscious about what we put out there um, lyrically. Mm-hmm. Because truthfully, instead of saying, you know, for lack of a better whatever just give me an example of a chris brown type lyric you know like you know and i'm a i'm a beat it up all night instead of staying saying something like that you really could say and i'm gonna stay up with you all night and we're gonna something something and it could just be so much more romantic and i'm giving the sun the moon the stars and yeah you know that i can't deliver that in a bedroom but i'm a you know but that's exactly it's it's the it's the idea that i'm gonna I'm going to deliver to you. I'm going to deliver, and I'm going to give my all. I'm going to give you my all, and and be clever about how you say that, and yeah. and and that's also real life too, right? You don't, you wouldn't go to your wife right now and be like, you know, you know, give me that water, you know. You I know. might. Depending on thirsty you are. Depending on the mood we in. Exactly. But there's there's so much power in our in our words, man. And so I I think just to kind of bring it back all the way around, that's that's kind of where we are right now in music. It's the the we've taken the power out of the lyrics and 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 kind of focused completely on the on the beat and, and the music and you know, just a temporary feeling, right? None of these, you don't listen to these songs when you're sad. No. These are songs. That's, a, that's the thing, These right? songs make you want to go pour something up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, these are these are not those kind of songs. So, okay. Um, I want to get into that. See, I was going to do it later, but fuck it, we'll go there. <laughs> um, the song that I think that one of the better R&B albums that came out recently was Jasmine Sullivan. Hotels, oh. right? Great record. I mean, great album. It's a great project, absolutely. And I love the cohesiveness. And she's of it. an amazing. Gosh, she's an amazing talent. Amazing singer. Yeah. Um, but that's another thing. Getting back to the cohesiveness of an album. Yeah. Because it seems like artists have gone away from that. Like the, the themes of the, like the, it's a very thematic album, and yeah. I loved how she structured the album, and it it still in a way um it doesn't have as much bridges it doesn't have any bridges actually right there's no bridges but they, it does kind of give that old feeling back. yeah absolutely and i mean and there's a method to the madness as to why why don't we have bridges anymore? albums do that well so well, before, what is a bridge let's break that down yeah well even before that let me let me go back to the jasmine sullivan uh, sullivan album project because you made a great comment about the cohesiveness of the project mm-hmm. I think we see a lot less of that now because it's more so about singles, right? Mm-hmm. So even if you listen to Ariana Grande, who is considered pop R&B, not R&B pop, right? 
um, depending on what platform you're listening to her on. <clears throat> Excuse me. But her her project is full of singles. Mm-hmm. If you listen to this last project and the one before it, yeah. there's a good six or seven singles on that project. It's not necessarily trying to tie together a vibe. Yeah. Um, Mary J. Blige's My Life album mm. is cohesive all the way through. Yeah. And they still were able to get about, what, three or four singles off of that project. Mm-hmm. So, But that's very difficult to do. Very difficult to do. It's but because labels are, are they want to get singles out there. It's all, it's a single driven game. Yeah, single, especially single, singles. The way music is now because you're streaming. It's still on streaming, so it's like we we need to be like four or five singles on this yeah, album. We need singles. Yeah, singles, singles. Nobody's gonna listen to an album anymore. People just want to hear. <laughs> that's what they. I've heard that. That is what they're saying. They're saying nobody's listening to albums. Everybody wants to hear like they want to hear a, a single. Yeah. It needs to get, if not radio play, it needs to be able to be streamed on YouTube. Streamed, it needs to be yeah. in commercials, it needs to be on, you know, uh, Insecure. I mean, mm-hmm. we need to get it needs all to be on that. A, yeah, it needs to be somewhere where it's the appetite of the consumer is being created in other venues, not on the album. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but what was the other question that you are asking me? <laughs> no, but like, I mean, even in a sense where, okay, let's talk about hotels. Right, yeah. and it's spelled H E A U X. Right, right. Hotels, right. Very, very clever. Very right, little um, wordplay. Very nice word. Very witty. <laughs> um, and so, even in that album, I do love that it's authentic because it's from a woman's point of view of how uh, being uh, having sexual ownership of her being um, powerful in herself and sexual ownership and um, creating a conversation about her, you know, her life. Right. You know what I mean? And, you know, even in same statements, like you could, she's like looking at me or get it together, bitch. Like, you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) I love that. You know what I mean? Like it's just, but it's just, it's a very authentic album. And even in that sense, it's it's a very whole per, it's a whole person like it doesn't shy away from who she is like right. she's like I'm messy a little bit I am yeah. I don't have it I don't have the all the answers I am authentic project right I am trying to figure this thing out but at the same time I'm not ashamed of who I am or about I'm also going to own my desires I'm not going to be walking around right you know about like I don't want to you know claim, take ownership of who I am as a woman um it's a it's a great record, it's a great album, but I, it's told from a very specific point of view. Yeah, you yeah. know, um, and I think it's great. But then I wonder. I was thinking as I was listening to the album, I was like, I do wonder to the realms of women who are not in the Jasmine Sullivan area of life. Right. You know what I mean? What do they pull from the record? What do they pull from this album? I wonder about that stuff. Like you know, and yeah. I'm not, and that's not a shot diss at Jasmine. I love, no. but I'm saying because it's the same thing. Like the same way, I same may, way guys do it. Guys do it. Like you know, what I mean, like I'll listen to yeah. an album. Like I'll listen to Drake, and I'd be like, it's cool. I like listening to Drake, but I'm like, I don't, I don't relate to nothing what he's talking about. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? And it's just kind of like I don't. It's cool to listen to, but I don't really pull nothing. For, and I'm not comparing Drake and Jasmine. Right, right. But I'm no, just no. saying that when you listen to an artist, I think there's a more of an impact when you can get something from the artist when you're like, I live that life or I, I understand this life because this is my. I think um, 
So I think what's unique about hotels is that, let me see, I'm assuming, I'm assuming Jasmine is, uh, is late 20s. Yeah, right early now, 30s. Early 30s, yeah, because yeah. I remember when we, were, when we were in L.A., she was starting to record records at the same time. So I'm assuming she's early 30s, late, late 20s. Right. So there is a large, 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 large segment of the population of single successful mm. powerful women yeah who like to own their sexuality love sex just as much as men love to flex love to travel blah 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 you name it but they can't really talk about it like that because you know a large part of society will still judge them for that she's 34 by the way see i, I yeah okay bad bad so yeah so there's plenty of women in their mid-30s right now yeah. that are like black Carrie Bradshaws, white Carrie Bradshaws, Latin Carrie Bradshaws right now that totally relate to everything she's saying. They just can't Facts. talk about it like that. Right. Yeah. So that, 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 that answered the question. That was made for them. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and to your question about the bridge, man, um, if you take that song from Silk Sonic right now with Bruno yeah. and um, Anderson Pock. He has a bridge in there, and the bridge is typically like a climax of the song. Yeah. You know, it, it, it takes you to another place, and, and then, you know, traditionally it would kind of vamp out, you know, with some ad-libs or, or something kind of slick at the end, some talking or whatever. But that song has a bridge in it, and I miss those. So talk to people about what a bridge is. Yeah, so I mean, in songwriting... Music Education 101. <laughs> The simplest way to do it is, you know, the typical song structure is going to be, um, especially in R&B, you may have a mild intro with some ad-libs, then you've got verse, mm -hmm. hook, verse, hook, right? And by the time you get to that second hook, you're you're pretty familiar with the song now. You know the words. And then you got to do the breakdown. And then you can either break it down, mm -hmm. like how somebody like, say, for example, Teddy Pete might have done. Teddy Pete, break it down and, and just give you his heart right or you can take it up a notch and, and send him somewhere like um like beyonce's um what song is that it's about, uh, i don't know that note no you know the song what is the song um baby it's you yeah yeah, 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 yeah right yeah, yeah. so that song just keeps modulating it keeps going mo yeah yeah yeah, yeah it keeps yeah. modulating right but right. that's an example of a bridge the song is just going up it's just it's not yeah it's not it, it doesn't come it, down it's just another climax it just yeah. keeps going and you keep getting hype along with it yeah and so typically you put a bridge in there to kind of transition to a, a different kind of mood within the song and sometimes you go right back into the hook again to end it but the bridge is is designed specifically just to take you somewhere musically and emotionally. Tends to name bridge. The bridge. So it, it it also, and I'm going somewhere with this, it's it helps when you have it helps you deliver two different melodies in the same track. You know, and you know, or creates two different chords. I mean two se separate chord lines within a track. And Sometimes you have, and he's nodding affirmatively because he's <laughs> just for those listening. So, like, music doesn't. Reason you don't hear bridges anymore is because a lot of tracks don't have chords anymore. Yeah, there's no, and and that kind of goes back to the whole thing we're talking about when everything is sample or or yeah. a loop. You can't you can't turn a loop into a bridge. Somebody's yeah. gonna have to play something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, 
a lot of times, you know, we listen to our favorite songs and it's just a loop of a particular song. Exactly. You it's know, particular, normally four or eight bars or something like that chopped up and, you know, build some percussion around it and add some pads and some strings and things like that. And then boom, there you go. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I, I found fascinating is that people sometimes get surprised when they hear a, a, an old song. And they're like, wait a minute, I didn't even know like this song was like a older song. Oh yeah. Because yeah. It, but yeah. it's really just a loop. And I'm gonna give you a, a great example if you just indulge me for a moment. Go for so, it, coach. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Hold on. So people are like This they were like, what is this? Nah, just, like, you know, just keep up your head up. <laughs> Yo. Yeah, <duh. laughs> That's Leon Haywood. <laughs> Freaking you! I want to. Yeah. I want to do something freaky to you. All right. So I, I did that because I was listening to this song the other day, and I was thinking to myself like, I wonder if anybody realizes like all Dr. Dre did is took that loop in the beginning of the first you know, thirty seconds of the song, and he just kept looping it. Yeah. You know, yeah. and the melodies is great, but it's a such a fascinating because you listen to that entire record. There's like. Four or five different melodies in that entire record. That exactly. I, and then I and I thought to myself, like, damn, how come nobody's ever sampled the yeah. rest of this record? Nobody's ever. Chord changes everything. Yeah, yeah, it's it's fascinating. But we've. It's, I just use that as a prime example of how producers have taken songs, just one arrangement of a particular chord, and looped it over and over and over and over yeah. and over again, yeah. and then created an entire album or entire record. And that became the standard of making a record. Yeah. And I mean, when you listen to trap, I mean, a lot of trap right now is some of your favorite samples just super slowed down. Mm -hmm. And by taking such a short piece of that song, you don't have to pay as much to license it. Mm -hmm. But you can slow it down. And instead of it being, you know, two bars, you can make it eight bars now because you completely screwed the track. And right. just put a beat over it. Mm. Keep looping it, and now you got a full blown song. So that's kind of like where Pharrell and Robin Thicke got in trouble when they did that song. So um, that was an interesting case. So with them, the vocal melody was too similar. Mm -hmm. So in music, you can you can do songs like that as long as your the new work is considered a derivative, right? Right. But 
that song was so similar. And honestly, they probably could have won their case, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. Because all singers and songwriters are inspired by somebody. So if I write a song and that artist does a, a Marvin Gaye ad lib or a Trey Songs ad lib, does that mean that they stole it from Trey Songs? Mm. No. No, not necessarily. Not necessarily, right? Because we, we're all inspired by somebody. So you can listen to any artist right now on the radio and you're going to hear somebody in their in their vocal style and their arrangements and their ad libs. Right. But the fact that they, they made a whole song like that. <laughs> right. Right. And then... And, and, you know, it literally, and when you looked at the, if you saw a wave of the, <laughs> you know, yeah. if you're looking at a gra wave graph, it was very, it was very oh, yeah. similar. It's, the it's melodies like were same key, yeah. same melody. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so talking about Silk Sonic, I want to get back to them. Yeah, for sure. They're doing something interesting because they're kind of bringing back different chord changes within R&B. I, what, I, what I find it interesting is that um, Bruno Mars, an artist, um, I feel, I'm a little worried about this album. <laughs> I am, because I'm a big Innocent Pocket yeah, yeah. fan. And first of all, I'm selfish with Innocent Pocket <laughs> because he is somebody that, I, you know, it's, you know when he, he's an artist where... Like he's my artist and nobody nobody right, knows about right, him right, and you know right. what I mean now the world's gonna have him right. and he, he's about to be full blown now. Oh, he's about to be full blown yeah. and you know, but when you listen to his his song, like the Malibu album, again, my favorite album of his, um, it's very distinctive him. Yeah. And I wonder about Bruno Mars, is he he's going to he's gonna we're gonna lose some innocent Pac. And because Bruno Mars has an idea, like it's gonna be, it's gonna be a great album, but I'm, I'm, I'm wondering where do you go from here, right? Yeah, I'm just wondering about the the album. I'm wondering about what are we gonna see a full Innocent Park? Is the world gonna see what he is, or is we gonna see what a what a characterization of him? If that makes any sense? Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. I, I hope so, man. Um, I think that you know from the interviews that I've seen and some of the ones that you've seen and, and, and read about their friendship and their partnership. I mean, they're two true musicians yeah. first. Yeah. I mean, true musicians. Um, Anderson just happens to be able to, you know, rap and sing and play drums at the same time. And Bruno is just an amazing um, producer and vocalist. Yeah. And you bring that together and you should get something pretty incredible out of that. But to your point, Anderson Park, I think, is in a unique situation in that you're partnering with somebody that is as large as Bruno he's Mars. He's a pop star, general pop star. Yeah, yeah. he's a real life mega pop star, and you know Anderson Park is thoroughly respected. Yeah, I mean he is incredibly dope, not only for his projects but as a musician and, and a writer. Yeah, and a writer and a and a lyricist, and so you 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 know you bringing him into this umbrella, and you put out this. Because it's not even a pop album. It's a soul album. It's a soul album. It's strictly but, um, a soul album. It's, it sounds like it's a soul album. But yeah, I don't know. It's going to be It's gonna be curious to see, man, you know, how, how they are able to incorporate his style into this project. Yeah. And after this project, you know, what his sound would be like. That's kind of thing. Like, what is he going to transition to? <coughs> you know, um, he's, 
you know, he's uh, uh, distinctive in his in his sounds. He uses a lot of drums. Yep. You know, and um, it's, it's it's a lot of funk in his music. And I I, I wonder, you know, I, I'm. I'm assuming that's what they're going to try. That was the appeal for Bruno Mars. Like, I want to yeah. bring some funk into, uh, and soul into my next um, album. And he saw Anderson as a perfect, perfect vehicle for that. Yeah. And I mean, <clears throat> to be quite honest with you, man, I mean, my hope and, and why I was so glad that, that those two brothers are even doing this project is that it's kind of like how we were talking about with the R project. Yeah. Whether it's R&B, pop, rock, whatever, every couple of years, somebody comes out and releases something that's so such a game changer. <clears throat> Excuse me, that Capri Sun's catching up with me. <laughs> <clears throat> Excuse me, sorry. It was something that's such a game changer that the, the industry wants to mimic it. Yeah. They're like, man, we need more of that. Yeah. And I think a prime example is Billie Eilish, right? Mm. Her and her brother Phineas, they were just making records in their house they weren't even trying to impress anybody like that they were just doing their sound yeah but now that's the sound to get yeah so you know people want that billy eilish sound they want that lo-fi sound yeah and, and so what she I, be I yeah and to the point where it's, uh you know you saw writers last year saying she's the sound of a generation i'm like that's wild yeah, <laughs> yeah, because she just got here. Yeah, yeah, and I was like, "That's really that's a that's a bold statement." Yeah, 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 and I mean, and she did not just get here, but she she is incredibly dope. But again, <clears throat> which is a whole other show. This is what you know. You and I kind of touched on a little bit earlier, right? Mm -hmm. Billie Eilish is being allowed to be herself, authentically yeah. be her. Yeah, and they're putting major money behind it. Yeah. I don't know that in R&B we're getting that same type of chance. We're not. And so so it is my hope that projects like Silk Sonic, Sonic and Jasmine Sullivan and Jasmine Sullivan and even Janae Eco's last project and Pins Deep and Pins Deep the work that we're putting out there thank you sir um you know make labels pay attention and say you know what we don't have to we can kind of dial it back on this cookie cutter thing there are people that want to get back and give on Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. yeah, give give us that real music again. Yeah, yeah. Labels so, want it. So, one of the things I would say is that, um, <coughs> you know, one of the things I would say is that A uh, and R's. We don't really have A and R music anymore. And there's not a lot of A and R's anymore in the, in the industry. And and A and R stands for artist and repertoire. Right. Um, and A R's were were really responsible for not only finding new artists, breaking new acts. Uh, being the go-between between talent and the label, but also um, helping produce the album, curate the sound of that artist. And the reason being is because the internet, <laughs> you know? Right. It's, yeah. And it's both good and bad, right? Because the internet in a way is like, you don't need an A&R to find you because you, you had to move to LA or, you know, New York, or even then you became Miami or Atlanta. And if you didn't live in those spaces, and he didn't happen, they didn't like your song in the first 10 seconds. They threw your song out the, out the right. window. You know, but the internet has allowed for, it's a, new, it's a new wild, wild west where you can get your stuff out there quickly. Yeah. But the problem is there's lack of artist development. Absolutely. I was about to say, I, I think it's a pro and a con. I think 
it's good on one hand in that as an artist or a songwriter, you don't have to wait for a label to get your music out there anymore. Mm-hmm. You can use your your social influence, your following, whatever to to drive numbers to create revenue for yourself, and you don't have to rely on a label for that. Right. <clears throat> Excuse me. On the flip side, if you really do want to go to another level with it and become global or a major success, you really do need artist development. Yeah. And labels aren't really trying to pay money for that anymore. No, especially on the R&B side. No, especially on the R&B side, unfortunately. So they want you to already come to the table with numbers, um, with their track record. Knowing your sound. Knowing your sound, knowing who you are, knowing where you want to go, which is crazy. Right. Which is crazy. Um, But the pandemic changed that too. Mm. Because... People can't get out and tour like that anymore. Yeah. I mean, they're trying to get back to it, but you can't. So that's a major revenue loss yeah. for everybody, honestly. Yeah. But now people are doing virtual shows. People are releasing EPs from their home or home studios or whatever. So people aren't waiting around for the labels like that anymore. Yeah. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see how 21 and 22 kind of shape up as far as what the industry is doing because they're already... I'm getting a lot of emails from ASCAP, which is my PRO, my performing rights organization, and and CSAC, and you're seeing a lot of changes coming down the pipeline with how people are able to promote themselves and promote their music and repurpose their music. Yeah. So it's a game changer. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things I would say is that with A&Rs back in the day, you know, they would actually, like said, they would help with the artists and it would help create um, a lot of the artists trying to figure out their sound in early, earlier records. And yeah, then when sure. they were, fi- and it would give them time to breathe on a, like, Oh, that album didn't work or that record didn't work, but we're going to come back on another one. Like I say, Janet Jackson, she, now of course she was still, you know, acting, but they, the right. label kept her, you know, despite her first record and the first album, not doing anything. Oh, yeah. And they were like, we're just going to let her language here. And then again, you know, we talked about Terry, Jimmy, Jamie, Terry, Lou said, Oh, we'll take her like four, three years yeah. later. They let her language for like three years. Um, and so they're not doing that anymore. Well, <clears throat> it happens to a lot of artists, but they definitely don't hold you on the roster as long anymore. Mm-hmm. And one of the main things that ARs used to do, and one of the reasons that I used to always want to be one was it was their job to basically say, Okay, we got Kamara. Uh, we don't really know anybody that's from New York and Cali that can give us a sound that Kamara really needs. Mm. I think I got somebody. And then the A&R puts the team together yeah. for you to help create that sound. Helps you like, and or they'll tell you, they'll talk to you, but like, what are you trying to do? What is your vision for the record? Exactly. Yeah. And then as a team, yeah, we create the Kamara project. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. missing. That's yeah. Um, so I want to, I want to end this. Talking about Versus. Yes. I love what Versus is doing. I think it's reminding people of the art of black culture in, in music. And I, I think it. it's creating um, an entire new focus on just back on the music, not on the performance anymore. Yeah. You know, um, it makes me, first of all, it makes me miss concerts, but it reminds yeah, me. say, that's the, actually, the performance part is the part I'm missing the most right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but it's, it's, it's reminding you of like great songs. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's it's great for the culture. I mean, what are your thoughts on verses? Man, I love verses, man, for several reasons. I think that 
versus is I love how how we basically whether intentionally or not versus has reactivated people's entire catalogs. Mm-hmm. So you have artists on here who hadn't dropped a hit in 20, 30 years and you put them on versus and their whole catalog catches on fire. Yeah. And now that person is getting royalty checks again and they're starting to do shows and performances and radio. So it's almost a way for our own community to say, no, our music is dope. Yeah. And we're, we're literally throwing it back out there in iTunes and Spotify and SoundCloud and Pandora. I mean, all the numbers spike every time we do a versus. I think that's incredible. So what I love about Versus too is we have a tendency in black culture to kind of put stuff on the shelves. What I what I do appreciate about how white people consume music, they still listen oh yeah to you know what I mean? Yeah. They still listen to the Beatles, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Um what's the it was a uh uh, uh damn the guy with the cranberry, he was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, I know you're talking about." Oh god, now I'm forgetting. Can I? Uh, was that the Red Hot Chili Peppers song? No, you were singing? no, no, so no. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna be mad because I can't even remember the damn group. Not, not Eagles. No, not the Eagles because there is a rumors album. It was a rumors album. Um, Dang, I have, I'm blocking on it too. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's the damn Capri Sun and that you could. Uh, she put in my, what is it, Rumors album. I'm going to tell you right now. Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, yes. there you go. But even though Fleetwood Mac is still, you know, people still listen to Fleetwood Mac, right? Right. What I, the thing we don't listen to, and we don't do a lot of times with black music, we kind of like, oh, they're not relevant anymore. Which we kind right. of put them to the shelf. You know what I mean? And what I love is what Verse is doing is like, no, we got to like uplift our culture, because it's a beautiful thing, and let's bring it back. Let's bring the things that we grew up on. <clears throat> you know what I mean? Like stuff we yeah. grew up on 20, 30 years ago, 90s, that's crazy, right? Yeah, it's wild. <laughs> you know, that, uh, but it's still great sounding It's still music. great sounding music. You know, um, so, you know, what, what's the verses if you can, your ideal, if you can, your goal, like, like, I would love to see this artist. Ah, oh, God. The one... <laughs> I, w- I would have loved to see Jodeci and Boys and Men, but Jodeci probably wouldn't be able to make it to the performance, so, uh, which that just breaks my heart. <laughs> yeah. But, um, man, you know, that, that Isley Brother, one, that that was pretty incredible. That was incredible. That was incredible. That's the best one. That was incredible. And uh, you, know what I, you know what I would like to see? I would like to see Guy versus somebody. Well, Teddy Riley's doing it. He wants a rematch. Oh, he And he said he didn't, even, he didn't even get into his guy bag. Yeah, I, I want to see Guy. And he, I, I want to see the live performances, um, you know, those type of groups that have a catalog. Any type of group like that, I would love to see. So one of the things I think would, it broke my heart a little bit watching Earth, Wind & Viner and, and um, Isley's because it was like, damn, we've lost so much with music. Yeah, yeah. We've lost so much and it was just like listening to these songs. You're like, I can't believe how much we've lost yeah. in music. You know, and once these guys pass, that's it. Yeah, and even to that point, man, I think that I think that we should see more verses like that. I mean, I definitely want to see, you know, ushers and I I know what you I know what you mean. Yeah, but I, I I think we should see more I want to see Smokey Robinson. Yeah. Uh, a Smokey Robinson one. And here's why, man. I think that there's so much going on in the world, so much going on in, in the music and the industry, and 
mm-hmm. in all of our all of our lives, to be honest with you. I think that hearing that music reminds you of grandma's house. Yeah. It reminds you of the barbecue when you turn 16 and, you know, your first time, whatever, whatever. And I mean, so, I mean, all of those songs have such memory and such power behind them. Yeah. And um, I think that we need that. You know, half the stuff that's out right now, I can't even play it like that because it's got so much profanity in it, right? Yeah, it can't so, even play around my daughter. Exactly. So, so Daughters, what, yeah. So what songs are my girls going to say? Oh, Dad, remember when we were on the trip and we played blah, 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 blah. I don't have any songs like that. No. It's that tough. I can play I mean, for them. Even if I like Jasmine Sullivan's I can't play hotels around my, <laughs> right. around my seven-year-old. Right. You know? I mean, like, that's way, that's way too explicit for them. And so even to that, bro, so, so I find myself, and at first, you know, you said knowing my wife, but, but, but she laughs at it now. But I find myself playing stuff like when the girls are around, playing stuff like, you know, Summertime from Will Smith. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, the other day, just to annoy them, really, I played Bring Me Up by the, uh, Bring You Up by the Commodores. Yeah. But at first they're like, what is this? And then next thing you know, they're like singing along. Yeah. Because I want them to get used to hearing more of those kind of records again. Because that's the kind of stuff that we can play while we cook together. Yeah. While we barbecue together. While I'm know? cleaning the house. Exactly. You know, I, and it's I'm doing the same thing. Yeah. You know, like the other day, like kids were on their way to school and they were playing the Alexander O'Neill and Shiro. Oh, uh, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Tuesday. And so my my kids were singing along yeah. to that in the in the car. And then I remember the next day, my youngest, Liana, she was like, Daddy, we going to play the, the weekday song? Yeah. <laughs> Sunday. Yeah, and she started exactly. singing the Sunday, Monday. Because I was, I was like, what song is that, baby? She's like, Sunday, Monday. You know a song. And I was like, <laughs> and I'm like, it's working. <laughs> it's working. Oh, my God. But that's what I'm, I'm saying. I Liana, Wednesday at Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> Never on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, but, like, we have to, like, bring them back onto yeah, that old, yeah. old school. Because I don't. I, I don't I can't play the songs I can't, can't. I can't play them you know what I mean like because they're not it doesn't it's not appropriate number one but it, it's not. it lacks the heart and um that's what I'm looking forward to you know in this next phase of music and that's a whole other podcast but yo Joe my dude um thanks for having me man this is this is good man yeah I'm, man I'm so proud of what you're doing and I appreciate it bro I hope you I hope you enjoyed it man I did yeah, we, went, we kind of did a deep dive in music. I'm glad we made it happen. I hope people um, appreciate it because it took a lot for us to do this podcast. <laughs> working on the artists is, uh, you know, working. Sorry, yeah. It's all good. Had some, some crazy logistics. <laughs> it's all good. We made it happen. But I mean, yeah. I hope people appreciate it, man. And I hope they understand the vibe and um, they gain anything. When What can they find from Pens Deep? Yeah, no, for sure. You can check us out on Instagram at Pens Deep, P-E-N-Z-D-E-E-P. Um, or you can go to pinsteep.com um, to check us out. We are actually going to release an EP um, at the end of next month. So end of May, we're going to release our EP. Our next single is um, Every Time, and it's featuring an artist named Michaela Rain um, that we were working with. So we have a lot of heat in the bag, still working on television and film. So if, if they're yeah. watching uh, Family Business on BET, Especially season one, we have six songs on that show. Publishing. Yeah, publishing royalties, baby. So 
we're just gonna keep on working, man, and, and keep rocking with cool dudes like you. So I uh, appreciate the support, man. Oh yeah, no doubt, man. I appreciate you um, coming on the pod and just you know carving out some time and showing me some love, man. And, Had to, Had you know. To. And if you guys like this pod, please, 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 not only subscribe but send it to your friends, like, share it, share, share it with like, your friends, man, and comment about it. You know, and um, you know, uh, I'm appreciate y'all. And with that, we're gonna ride out. <laughs>